Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're in a series right now called The Unstuck Life. According to the Bible, some people are stuck because they've never heard or only believed part of the gospel message. Others never learn to connect to God's power in their lives. And some people figure out the receiving part, but not the sharing. We're convinced that the path to the unstuck life is believe, connect, share. And we hope that God leads you along that path as we look at the Bible together. Now, today's passage looks at why the Bible is so important in our lives. People express that importance in different ways, though. One person thought the Bible was important enough to develop a brand new translation. It was released on app stores back in 2016, and it's called the Emoji Bible. It takes a King James translation and replaces all of the common words with emojis. So, for instance, when you're reading in Genesis 1 where it says, The Lord saw the light that it was good, in the Emoji Bible it becomes smiling face with halo emoji, saw the light bulb emoji, that it was thumbs up emoji. You get the idea, right? Now, whenever I see something like this, I can't help but think, I'm not sure this is the way. But I understand the urgency to try and get people to start reading the Bible. I think the same motivation was at work when Reader's Digest gave a team of seven editors three years to create a condensed version of the Bible. They chopped off 50% of the Old Testament and about a quarter of the New Testament with the goal of making the Bible more accessible. Again, I'm not sure this is what we need, but it shows people going to great lengths to try and get people to read at least some of the Bible. George Whitfield said this, God has condescended to become an author, and yet people will not read his writings. There are very few that ever gave this book of God, the grand charter of salvation, one fair reading through. Now, Whitfield said that back in the 1700s, but I suspect that Bible reading has fallen on even harder times in recent years. Today, I'd like to try and convince you of the power of God's word. I want to show you that the authority that it can hold when you believe in its truthfulness. And I want to try and convince you to actually read it and learn it and let it change you. To do that, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. And just as a quick point of application, if you're not in the habit of following along in the Bible as I teach, let me encourage you to do so. If you're not seeing what the Bible actually says, then my words and God's words are liable to get confused in your mind. And God's word is our authority. I'm just trying to help explain it. So if you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, and him only shall you serve. Then the de devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three ways that the Bible can help us. The first is, is that it helps us when we're tempted to doubt God. When you're going through trials or you can find that life is a struggle, it can do strange things to our thinking. We begin to question things we used to think were certain. The Bible is like a life jacket when we hit rough waters. God's word helps you when you're tempted to doubt God. Now, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus has just been baptized. And then the verse of chapter 4 opens with him, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's a reminder that God often leads us through trying situations. It's one of the ways that he trains us. It's part of how he strengthens us. And it's one of the means that God uses to test whether we really trust him. Having been led into the wilderness, that would be hard enough. But Jesus goes on a 40-day fast. It leaves him famished. Verse 2 says that he was hungry, <laughs> but he's likely weak as well. And when he's at his most vulnerable, verse 3 tells us that the tempter came. It feels a little bit like what happened in the Garden of Eden, and that's deliberate. Adam and Eve were in paradise with everything that they could ever want. And with one temptation of Satan, they sinned against God and failed the test of their faithfulness. Now Jesus has come like a second Adam, but instead of paradise, he's in a desert. While Adam was well-fed and rested, Jesus is hungry and tired. Will he take the bait? Will he eat the fruit? Satan sets a trap in verse 3. It says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now notice how subtle the temptation is. Satan doesn't tell Jesus to murder anyone or commit adultery. It comes across far more reasonable than that. When he says, if you're the son of God, he's referring back to Jesus' baptism. The father has just declared that Jesus is his beloved son. Satan's just saying, if you're the son of God, you shouldn't go around hungry like that. You deserve some food. Have something to eat. You don't have to steal it or anything. Just turn some stones into bread. Is God so stingy that he'd fault you for that? Now, the problem with turning the stones into bread was that it would involve Jesus using his divine power for his own selfish needs. He had committed himself to live in dependence on his father as a man, not to use his divine power to make the road easier for himself. He had chosen to face the hardships that we all go through in this life rather than use his miracles to sugarcoat his experience of life in this world. At least, that's what he was planning to do. But now he feels the pain of hunger that he's never experienced before. He feels more tired and weak than he's ever known. And the thought of fresh bread sounds so good. He can almost smell it. Jesus doesn't debate Satan. He doesn't weigh the pros and cons. 
Instead, he just quotes scripture. Verse 4 says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not that reading the Bible makes him less hungry. He's saying that obedience to God is more important to him than obedience to his stomach or obedience to his hunger. Stolen bread tastes stale. The Bible is more precious to him than his comfort. But notice that he's able to say no to this temptation because he has clarity from the Bible. He's taken the time to memorize the verse. He's prepared himself for a time like this. And it makes you think, if Jesus needed to read and learn and memorize scripture to help him resist temptation, how much more do we? What, what hope do we have if we don't? Now, do you know what happens when we don't? We face a stretch in our marriage and we say things like, I deserve better than this. Or we hit a wall with our health and we say things like, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. And we end up stepping outside of the bounds of God's will to try and turn the stones of our life into bread. And we face the consequences when we do. God has given you the Bible to spare you from that. Turn to it. Make time for it. Read it. Learn it. It doesn't help that you believe it if you don't do what it says. Let it be your strength when you're tempted to doubt God. The Bible helps when you're tempted to doubt God. But it also helps when you're tempted to test God. We, also, we all face times when we're tempted to do foolish th things and expect God to bail us out. When we presume on God's patience or kindness or mercy. The Bible guards us against those decisions. His word helps us when we're tempted to test God. Now, with his first temptation refused, Satan switches tactics. In verse 5, he takes Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem and sets him up on its highest point. There's a spot on the southeast corner that overlooks the Kidron Valley 450 feet below. That's like standing on the peak of the Fairmont Royal York Hotel downtown. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's weak and tired, maybe a little lightheaded. To be at that height would be terrifying. And Satan says, jump. But it's a little more subtle than that. Watch what he actually says in verse 6. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, Satan has seen how Jesus has used the Bible to refuse him, so he decides to use his own weapon against him. Jesus uses scripture, so Satan does too. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He's telling him, you're the son of God. You believe scripture, don't you? He's promised to protect you. Don't you trust him? Then jump. And people still do this today. There are people who handle poisonous snakes to pr prove their faith and God's faithfulness. There are people who refuse medicine and believe they should wait for God to heal them. I had a friend who stopped wearing his glasses as an act of faith, trusting that God would help him to see. There are other ways that Satan tempts us like this, though. He says, you're a child of God. Go ahead and sin. Don't you be believe that God will forgive you? Don't you trust in his forgiveness? Go ahead and buy that new phone or that new car. 
doesn't matter what's in your bank account. God will provide for you. Don't you trust in his faithfulness? This temptation warns us that Satan knows how to use the Bible to lead us into sin. On another day, Jesus might have easily seen what he was doing, but he's tired and hungry. And men don't usually do their best thinking in those circumstances. How will Jesus respond? Look at verse 7. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you might recognize the phrase that Jesus uses. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they were constantly testing the Lord. They demanded their own way and grumbled against God and tested his patience and the limits of his mercy. Now, Jesus sees himself in the wilderness the way that they were and recognizes Satan is trying to incite him to test the Lord the way they did. But he could only see that because he had made time for regular reading and study of the scriptures. By the time he was only 30 years old, he had learned the Bible well enough to be able to see a situation or a decision in light of what the scriptures taught. And when Satan came and twisted the application of God's promises, he was able to recognize it for what it was. And again, he did all of this the same way we're supposed to, by taking time to read and study. He wasn't leaning on any divine shortcuts. And you have to ask yourself, will you be prepared when Satan tries to do this in your life? When someone misquotes scripture to you, will you be able to see through what, what they're doing? When you're faced with a hard decision, will you be able to weigh it in light of what God has said? If Jesus needed the Bible to protect him from temptation, surely all of us do. So we've said that God's word helps us when we're tempted to doubt God and when we're tempted to test God. But finally, God's word helps us when we're tempted to cut corners. Many of the temptations we face happen when we want to do something good, but are tired of how long it seems to be taking to do it. We know the right way, but the easy way seems so much more attractive. It's in those times that we're tempted to sacrifice our integrity and walk down a path we end up regretting. God's word helps you when you're tempted to cut corners. Now, Satan has tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread and to jump so God will save him. Now he offers him power and authority with a catch. Watch what he says starting in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus entered this world in poverty. From the beginning, he knew what it was like to be last in line and turned away at the door. He'd worked with his hands and made barely enough to live. And it was hard. But if he, even if he could put up with that for himself, he knew that it would always limit his, min, limit his ministry. He could only get his med, message out so far because he was rejected by the establishment. He could only help so many people because he was always working outside the system. Imagine what he could do with power and authority. Think how different his influence would be if he was king or emperor. The father had promised Jesus that authority but it would only come 
after he had died on the cross. He would be declared King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but not before dying for the sins of the world. Satan offered him a path that avoided all of that. And the only catch was that he'd have to worship him and no one would have to know. The disciples were nowhere to be seen. Jesus was away from the crowds and it would make everything so much easier. Maybe for you, the temptation to cut corners will come with your finances. Maybe it'll be in an area of your sexuality. Could be a question of your honesty or cutting corners in those areas that you know are important, but nobody sees. Unlike Adam in the garden or the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus resists the temptation. That part isn't a surprise to us. How he does it is. Look at verse 10. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Why would Jesus have to quote scripture here? Was he really weighing the decision and thinking, hmm, worshiping Satan, I'm not sure where God stands on that. I wonder if there are any verses that might apply to this situation to help me sort it out. Surely that's not why he quotes the verse, right? He knows that it's wrong, but he knows that there's strength in quoting the words of God. There's a conviction that comes when we know exactly what God has said on a matter. When the voice of temptation is playing in your mind, there's nothing like hearing the voice of God overpower it. Quoting verses of scripture is like putting on a bulletproof vest when you think you might end up in the line of fire. And if Jesus needed one, what chance do you think you stand without it? This passage gives us great hope because Jesus passed the test that Adam failed in the garden, that the Israelites failed in the wilderness, and that we've failed too often in our lives. Because Jesus passed the test that we failed, he'll turn the stones of difficulty in our lives into bread. We'll feast with him in the kingdom of God and we'll know satisfaction without pain. Because Jesus passed the test that we failed, he'll clear away the lies and the confusion that Satan sows in this world and welcome us into paradise where we'll see God face to face and enjoy the fulfillment of the promises that he's made us. And because Jesus passed the test that we failed, he's been given authority over the kingdoms of this world. He didn't take the shortcut that Satan offered him, but because he bore our sins on the cross, he was counted worthy of all worship. And one day we'll bow before him in glory. In the meantime, there are implications of this passage that I want you to consider. Jesus used the Bible like a weapon in battle. Ephesians 6.17 calls it the sword of the spirit. Are you carrying that sword into battle? Some people's sword is a little bit like the emoji Bible. It's all there, but their attitude towards it is so light that it doesn't make much of an impression. They don't treat its commands with the weight they deserve. They don't give it the priority in their lives that it's worthy of. Their sword is more like decoration for a meme than it is a weapon for the battle. Other people's sword is a little like the Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible. They pick out the parts of the Bible that they agree with and skip over the rest. 
They're always reading the promises and the Psalms, but never really leaning in to the commands or the teachings. They chew on the parts they like and spit out the rest like bones. They're like those people that George Whitfield talked about, never bothering to read from cover to cover the only book that God has ever written. Jesus shows us how to go into battle prepared. The Bible has to become a part of your life. And that means it has to become an essential part of your daily rhythm. Read it, study it, memorize it. The goal is to be able to respond to the circumstances of your life with the confidence that Jesus had. You want to have the strength to, strength to say, it is written. And occasionally, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> instead of, what we often say, instead of it is written, more often it's like, I think there's a verse about that somewhere in the New Testament. Let me just go Google it. Or instead of get behind me, Satan, we're often more like, just wait here a moment, Satan, while I weigh the pros and cons. Let God's word be your sword in the battle. Sharpen it. Stand behind it. Trust in it. Let's look to God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has not left us alone in the battle. You've not left us to try to deal with Satan on our own. You know that the temptations will come. And so you provide us with the word of God as a sword. You provide us help and direction, promises, and also the assurance of victory. Thank you that Jesus passed the test that we failed. And so thank you that through faith in him, we can stand victorious. Father, help us to give weight to the word of God. To give it the authority in our lives that it deserves. Help us to treat as precious the word that you've given, it, given us. May we tremble before it, humble ourselves before it, and submit our lives to it. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you to understand what it means to believe in the Bible and its authority in your life. I hope it's, you've seen how the scriptures can help you when you're tempted to doubt God or test God or cut corners. If it's raised questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.